The Bible reading for today is taken from Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14 and continuing to the end of that chapter. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, dear God, where would we be without your word? We're so grateful for this book through which you tell us who you are and through which you tell us who we are and what you are making us to be. Thank you that your word never goes forth from you in vain but it always returns to you having accomplished the purpose for which you sent it. And we trust that to take place now, that this word we have heard read today might bear tremendous fruit in our hearts and in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. During this season of transition and uncertainty for First Baptist Church, Justin Kim has called us to a fresh reading of the letter the Apostle Paul sent to the church in the first century city of Ephesus. Justin has done this because through this letter, the Apostle Paul opens up for us the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. Paul is helping us realize the wonder of being in Christ as the church of Jesus Christ. This word church is literally the word ecclesia. It comes into the English language in words like ecclesiastical. And what is important for us to know is that in the first century, ecclesia is not a religious word. There were other words Paul could have used that were inherently religious. But Paul and the other writers of the New Testament choose this non-religious word for this new community gathered by, around, and in Jesus Christ. Ecclesia refers to the assembly of the citizens of a city, gathered together from the city to conduct the important business of the city. If you will, the ecclesia is the city council, made up of the movers and shakers of the city coming together to grapple with all that is involved in making the city 
a place of human flourishing. Imagine that. People who belong to Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of every city of the world, brought together by Jesus to do the essential work of running the city with Jesus. In the letter to the Ephesians, we are given a grand vision of what all of this means. Human beings, broken human beings, made new by and in Jesus Christ, now joining him in his work of making the city a place where people of all economic, social, racial backgrounds come together as a kind of new humanity. In the text, which Fred just read for us, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, Paul models for us the most significant way to be Jesus' ecclesia. He models for us the most significant way to be Jesus' ecclesia. One word, kneel. The most important way we function as the city council is by kneeling before the Lord of all cities and praying our hearts out for the city. Which is what Paul is doing in his letter. Getting down on his knees and praying his heart out for the Ephesians. And what a prayer it is. Those of you who know me know that I love to hear Paul preach. But you know that I also love to hear Paul pray. I love to hear Paul preach the gospel, but I especially love to hear Paul pre pray the gospel. Now, we're going to focus on just one of Paul's prayers today. The second of the two prayers he prays in his letter to the first century city of Ephesus. The first prayer we find in chapter 1, verses 15 to 22, which Alita Friesen opened up for us. The second we find in chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, 21, which I hope to open up for us today. Paul gets down on his knees in a jail somewhere in the capital city of the Roman Empire in forced self-isolation, down on his knees in the dirt and filth of a prison cell and prays one of the most bold prayers a human being can ever pray. Now, before diving into the prayer, let us stand back, so to speak, and survey very briefly the way Paul prays in all of the prayers recorded in the New Testament. Five observations or five dimensions of Paul's praying reflected in nearly every one of his recorded prayers. Number one, always. Paul says he always prays for those whom he loves. In his first prayer for the Ephesians, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Always, not cease. 
as he puts it in his letter to the Romans. God is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers. In his letter to the Ephesians, always offering prayer for all of you. In his letter to the Colossians, praying always for you. On and on it goes. History's greatest mission activist is also history's greatest consistent intercessor. In fact, he's history's greatest missionary activist because he is history's greatest intercessor. All of his actions emerge from his praying, always, unceasingly. Why this always and why this never, uh, never ceasing? Well, it's what we do for those whom we love. We never stop bringing them to the only one who can do for those whom we love what needs to be done. We never stop praying for them. Like grandparents, <laughs> you, you never stop praying for your grandchildren. Not because we are afraid that God is not hearing us. Not because we are afraid that God will not pay attention to those we love unless we keep praying. But because that's what love does. It keeps bringing those we love to the only one who has what it takes to do what needs to be done for those we love. It's almost as though we cannot help but doing it, always, unceasingly. But Paul keeps praying for another reason. Something happens when we keep doing it. Something always happens when we keep doing it. I personally think Paul was aware of nearly everything Jesus taught. He was in the city of Jerusalem during those years when Jesus was teaching and healing, during those three-plus years of Jesus' earthly ministry. And Paul, like so many other believers in those early decades of the emerging church, Paul heard those stories that were later collected, later collected in the four Gospels as they were spreading throughout the empire. Paul must have heard Jesus' exhortation, ask, seek, knock. And Paul knew that literally Jesus said, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Why? Why keep it up? Because, says Jesus, those who keep asking are receiving. Not just will receive, it is literally are receiving. And those who keep seeking are finding, not just will find, but literally are finding. Jesus exhorts us to keep asking and seeking because in the asking and seeking, we are receiving and finding. Something is always happening when we pray, not necessarily what we want, but something is always happening. We keep receiving and finding more of God. <laughs> As Mother Teresa used to point out, as we keep seeking and asking, God keeps giving more and more of himself. So Paul does not stop praying. He lives Jesus' promise that something always happens when we pray our heart out. Something is happening for and in those for whom we pray, and something is happening for and in, in, in us who do the praying. 
So first observation about Paul the prayer, first dimension of his way of, pre of praying, always, unceasingly, which means the ecclesia never stops praying. Second dimension, give thanks. Gratitude is the hallmark of all of Paul's praying. Romans, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. 1 Corinthians, I thank my God always concerning you. Philippians, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Colossians, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians, we give thanks to God for all of you. Ephesians, I do not cease giving thanks for you. Gratitude is the drumbeat of all of Paul's intercessory prayer. And this gratitude is what enables him to keep praying with great passion and insight and boldness. Why? Because thanksgiving opens the human heart to the living God as nothing else can. As the psalmist said, this is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you. As we give thanks to God, our eyes are open to the presence of God in all that we're doing. Our eyes are open to the activity of God all around us. The more we give thanks, the more we discover more for which we can give more thanks. Now, remember that this note is sounded in a jail, in a place of forced isolation. Paul's there against his will, yet he gives thanks again and again and again and again. I think that that is what helped him endure those hard times. He gave thanks again and again and again and became aware that he was not alone, that the living Lord was there with him and that the living Lord was very active there with him. So let us do it right now. Let us give thanks while still under the cloud of this pandemic having to meet online and not in person. Let us give thanks for five things right now in the quiet of your place. One gratitude for each of the finger of one hand. Ready? Give thanks. Number one. Number two. Number three. Number four. Number five. Dimension one, always, never ceasing. Dimension two, give thanks. Dimension three, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul consistently addresses the living God as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you would know that this is a major shift for a long-time Jew. All his life, Paul prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For it was through those patriarchs and their spouses that God revealed his nature and character. And what God revealed freed Paul to pray so consistently and gratefully. 
and then Paul met Jesus. And what God revealed in Jesus freed Paul to pray even more consistently and gratefully. Oh, God was still for Paul, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now God was for Paul, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul now prays to the God whom Jesus reveals, to the God whom Jesus knows and trusts. Thus, dimension four, for this reason. The first word of our text, for this reason. Paul segues to each of the two prayers in Ephesians with that phrase, 115, for this reason, and 314, for this reason. What reason? The gospel. Paul prays what he prays because of the gospel. Paul prays what he prays because he's gripped by the gospel. Paul prays in light of the gospel. Yes, we pray in light of the chaos and turmoil and pain of the world. The escalating gang, gang violence in our city. For this reason we pray. The growing racial tension and injustice, for this reason, we pray. The lies and hate speech saturating social media, for this reason, we pray. But then, because of all that God has done, is doing, and will do in Jesus, for this reason, we pray. We have been given every blessing of the Spirit in Christ, Paul preaches. For this reason, he then prays. We've been made alive with Christ, raised up with Christ, seated with Christ, Paul prays. We've been given access into the very heart of the triune God, to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. Access into the very life of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Paul preaches. Even in jail, access, even in jail, in self-isolation. For this reason, Paul then prays. Which brings us to dimension five of all of Paul's praying, blatant extravagance. Paul does not actually use this phrase, but that is how he prays, with blatant extravagance. I get the phrase from New Testament scholar David Crump in his book, Knocking on Heaven's Door. It's, it's the best book on New Testament prayer that I know, Knocking on Heaven's Door. After studying all of Paul's recorded prayers, Dr. Crump summarizes Paul asks for nothing in moderation. I like that. Paul asks for nothing in moderation when praying for his friends. In fact, superlatives become the lingua franca of intercession. Thus, Ephesians 3.20, a text you know very well. Now, unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond, all that we ask or think or imagine. <laughs> the gospel is all about the blatant, extravagant grace of God. And so, for this reason, Paul prays with blatant extravagance. Hear it again. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
and that you being rooted, rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. On his knees, in a prison cell. I know I've said that many times today, but I want to emphasize that. It's in a prison cell. On his knees that Paul makes four blatantly extravagant requests. First, verse 16, to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in the inner person. The verb strengthen can be rendered fortify or invigorate. Oh, Father, fortify them with power. Invigorate them with power. Now, from Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, we know what he means by this word power. power Paul has the word in his mind the power that raised Jesus from the dead and then seated Jesus above all other powers. Paul is praying for resurrection power, ascension power, massive power in the inner person. Strengthened with resurrection, ascension power in the inner person, in the deepest recesses of our being. That is where we need it, is it not? <laughs> we need it in our hands and, 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 our, and our feet, but also, and more essentially, in our inner person. Through the Spirit. Through the same Spirit who in the beginning hovered over the void of darkness and brought the universe into being. Through the same spirit who in the middle of history overshadowed the void of the virgin's womb and brought the God-man into being. Through the spirit who now hovers over us, who overshadows us, indeed who indwells us, bringing life into our inner being even as the outer being decays. I like how J.B. Phillips rendered it in his 1960 paraphrase of the New Testament that out of the glorious riches of his resources, he will enable you to know the strength of the Spirit's inner reinforcement. I have for years ended, ended most of my letters and emails with something like grace to you or peace to you, and I still do. But during this last year, I found myself ending the letters and emails with strength to you the strength of the Spirit's inner reinforcement to you. Second blatant extravagant request, verse 17, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, Paul here is not asking that Christ come to dwell in the hearts of the Ephesians at this point. That's already happened. When they surrendered to Jesus as Lord, he came to live with them and in them. It's what makes a person a Christian. A Christ in one. Paul is praying that Christ might now come and completely dwell in us. That Christ move in and take over the whole house. Some of you might recall that little booklet by Robert Munger called My Heart, Christ's Home. Munger invites us to invite Jesus into every room and to occupy every space in our homes. The living room, the kitchen, the dining room, the bedroom, every closet. As Jeff Greeman, president of Regent College, recently put it, Paul is praying that Christ not only make himself at home in us as a traveler, 
but that he make his home in us as a permanent resident. Paul is praying that Jesus be given PR status in our lives, dwelling in us not as a renter, but as the owner. And none of the rooms of our hearts and minds unoccupied by Jesus. Paul prays this way for us, for it is, after all, what Jesus himself is praying for us. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus prays that we might be in him and he in us. Jesus prays that we might be in him and he in us, just as the Father is in him and he is in the Father. In Jesus, indeed, Jesus, entered, Jesus ends this great prayer on this note. Father, I desire that I be in them. That's the end of the prayer. Father, I desire that I be in them in those the Father has given to him as his disciples. Father, I desire that I be in them. It's the last line of the prayer. Not amen, not for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, but I in them. Dimension one, resurrection, ascension, power in the inner being. Bring it on, Lord. Dimension two, Christ dwelling in every nook and cranny of our being. Third, blatantly extravagant request, verse 18. To comprehend what is ultimately incomprehensible. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend the length and breadth and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Holy moly. Many commentators call this third request the boldest prayer ever prayed. Comprehend. The word that Paul uses is the word katalambano. I, I love to say the word. I, I enjoy hearing the sound of katalambano. Makes me want to dance. It means to catch. It means to seize. It means to grasp. It means to lay hold of. Now, this is the same verb that Paul uses in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 12. I press on in order to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. I, I press on to catch that for which Christ caught me. I press on to grasp that for which Christ grasped me. I'm seizing that for which Christ seized me. And I pray that you will have the strength to catch, to grasp, to seize the breath, breath the length, the height, and depth of the love of Christ. Yes, Lord, yes. <laughs> Overcome all the obstacles in our souls that keep us from experiencing your love. Overcome the lies, the regrets, the guilt, the shame, the trauma, the disappointment, and the doubt. All this stuff that keeps us from entering into the fullness of your love. Here's how I paraphrase Paul's third nothing in moderation request. Father, help us seize the breadth of Christ's love broad enough to include millions upon millions of sinners from every race and clan. Father, help us to seize the, length, seize the length of Christ's love, long enough to last through the ages, long enough to reach to the remotest parts of the earth. Nothing can escape the reach of his love. 
Father, help us seize the heights of Christ's love, love that opens the doors into heaven, love that raises us up with him and seats us with him in the heavenly places. And Father, help us seize the depth of Christ's love, love that comes down, 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 down in the incarnation, all the way down into the depth of our sick sickness and sin, and into the depth of our darkness and death. Oh, Father, make us strong enough to lay hold of Christ's fathomless love. As we will sing, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling like a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. But Paul's not done praying. Fourth blatantly extravagant request, verse 19. <sighs> that according to the riches of his glory, you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Mercy. This, in my mind, is the boldest prayer ever prayed. Be filled. Passive voice, meaning we do not do the filling although we try to do all the time in all kinds of ways. Be filled. It's the so-called divine passive, meaning only God can do it. Only the triune God of grace can do the filling. Filled. The verb literally means completely fill. Father, completely fill them. Fill them to full capacity. Fill them up to the brim. And what is the measure of this filling? <laughs> to the fullness of God. <laughs> Paul is praying that we be so completely filled that the filling can only be measured by the fullness of God. It takes my breath away every time I say the words. And what is this fullness of God? God. All that makes God be God. And remember, Paul is praying this from a jail cell. In a crummy, filthy, damp, socially distant prison cell. And can you imagine the diseases that are incubating in that place? And he gets down on his knees. And he asks the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ to fill broken, imperfect, profoundly hungry and thirsty people, to fill them to the degree, to the level, to the extent that the filling can only be measured by all that makes God be God. Such blatant extravagance breaks all the circuits. Now, because this fourth request is so bold, I regularly think it's important to point out that Paul is not then suggesting that because this, of this filling, we somehow become God or gods. Ah, the filling makes us more godly, thank God, but not God. When you fill a glass with water, the glass does not become water. Or when you fill a balloon with helium, the balloon does not become helium. When human beings are filled with the living God, human beings do not become God. Quite the contrary. To be filled up to all the fullness of God finally makes us human. We finally become what we were created to be. It was when God breathed his breath into the lifeless humanoid that Adam became a living being. So with every descendant of Adam. 
It is when the triune God fills us with all that makes the triune God what God is that we finally become what we were meant to be. Boy, do you see the compliment this prayer is praying to us? Paul is saying that we are made in such a way that the only thing that finally fills us is God. Nothing else is going to finally satisfy our hearts. Not a vacation after these restrictions are lifted. Not even finally seeing the grandchildren again. We were made by God, for God. And the only thing that finally fills us is God. <laughs> oh, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, fortify them with resurrection, ascension, power through your spirit in the inner being so that the living Christ himself might heal and cleanse and occupy every corner of their existence so that they might be able to comprehend the incomprehensible breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. And Father, fill them. Fill them. Fill them. Fill them with your very self. And Paul prays it all on his knees, modeling how the ecclesia of Jesus joins Jesus in his desire to transform every city into a place of full human flourishing. Kneel and ask nothing in moderation. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.